All right, welcome to the conversation. Can uh, progressives win in Republican districts? Let's find out. Uh, joining me today is uh, Leah Webb. She's a candidate for New York State Senate District 53. Um, she was also co-chair, co-founder of the Black Millennial Political Convention, founding board member of Local Progress, and has won the President's Award from a local NAACP chapter. Leah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to meet you, Jank. Uh, no problem. Good to meet you. Um, so. Your that Senate seat was held by a Republican, is that correct? So uh, this uh, Senate seat has been held by Republicans uh, for a very long time. There has never been a Democrat to represent uh, my part of New York in the state Senate ever. Okay, that's a tough hill to climb. <laughs> okay, so how- A little bit, a little bit. A little bit, <laughs> uh, but uh, progressives undaunted. Um, okay, so- um, let me understand how you're gonna do it. Uh, so what's your battle plan for uh, taking out Republicans in that kind of district? So uh, my plan and my campaign is a people powered movement here in the Southern tier in central New York. And so uh, my background is actually in community organizing. I've been a community organizer for more than half of my life. And so uh, ground game all the way, grassroots. And so, and that's critical, right? Because you want your leadership to understand firsthand the issues that people are dealing with every day in their lives. And so it starts at the grassroots, absolutely. So we're gonna run a, uh, we are running a grassroots campaign where uh, everyone uh, has a role. And especially on these issues, critical issues that are impacting us every day here. And uh, not just my region, but across the state. So it, it's it's in New York, but it's not New York City. And a lot of people get it confused. Like in the, some of the more rural areas and in upstate, etc. cetera, uh, there's plenty of Republican uh, voters and and the districts are different than what you might expect when you hear New York, right? And so, uh, Leah, you know, I hear all the time that uh, that Democrats could get Trump Republicans to switch over, and Republicans are disaffected by Trump, etc. I, I got to be honest, I never believed it. And then the 2020, 93 percent Republicans voted for Trump, uh, which is a very solid percentage. Some uh, always defect from their party, no matter what. So it's not like, wow, we got seven percent. Um, but I don't know it at the ground level. So at the ground level, as you've got Republicans in that district, have they have any of them soured on Trump? Or no, you really got to go get independence because the Republicans are immovable. So I think the sentiment of the folks in my part of the state, actually across the state, the sentiment quite largely is that people are tired of leaders making decisions, absence of understanding the challenges that people are grappling with every day. So people are being strapped by medical debt. We are also having issues around affordable housing. So it is, uh, it's bigger than uh, a particular party. People really want elected officials who genuinely understand the issues that working families are dealing with. And so with redistricting, uh, it has most certainly uh, shifted in terms of uh, demographic representation by party. And what I mean by that is, so uh, we have new districts in the area that lead more blue. But I think the most critical issue is that we have and we deserve leadership that not only understands, but has a track record working on these critical issues here in our region and across the state. 
Let me ask you, I guess, a little bit more specifically, although it's still broad categories, but in your experience in reaching out to voters that aren't already Democrats or progressives or left wing, um, what works better, social issues or economic issues? I think both, most certainly. You know, this pandemic has put everyone um, in a position where issues that we've been grappling with for a long time have become even more exacerbated. And so, for any person, whether you're running for office or working in the community, it's critical that you understand both the social and economic impacts of policies that are coming from the federal level all the way down. Mm -hmm. So, if, if you had to make a case to a Republican voter right now, or an independent, but just someone who's not a Democrat, right? Uh, to get them to vote for you, what's the case you make to them? My case is very simple, and that is we need leadership that genuinely understands and is willing to work to address the issues that are impacting us. So, for instance, with healthcare reform as a big issue, we all need healthcare, right? And so, and at the same time, there are significant issues that this pandemic has exacerbated as it pertains to not only coverage, but also affordability because a number of families are being strapped by medical debt where they're having to pick between do I pay for life-saving medications or put food on the table. And so for me, I'm always operating from the standpoint of I want to understand what are your experiences, what are the challenges that you are experiencing firsthand, and then figure out ways to connect those dots as relates to policy, and more specifically, equitable policies. I went through this once when I ran for office, and I know what they'll say. So let's just indulge me here a little, a little bit more hypothetical, okay? So, okay. and I'll do a little role play here. Hey, listen, you know what? You seem like a good person, Leah, and yeah, I, I got issues, and I'm worried that our deductibles too high, and we go to hospital, and, and I'm worried that's going to knock us out. I don't know what we're going to do about it. But what I don't want is more of that socialism, okay? Uh, and and I'm worried that if we get, leave it to government, they're just going to screw it up worse. I'm going to have to wait on longer life. So one of the things I would ask is, what is your current experience with the healthcare system? And is the current structure working for you? And more than likely, the answer is no. And so there are opportunities that we can explore right now here in New York. One is passing the New York Health Act, which will provide not only coverage, but more access and make our healthcare more affordable. One of the things that I've experienced firsthand, especially on this issue, is that a lot of our families are dependent upon, for instance, home care providers. But there's issues with having access to home care providers as you care for loved ones who are significantly sick or who are aging. And so it's critically important that we have resources such as the New York Health Act that will take away having to make those decisions that your quality of life can be much better because you quite frankly, we all deserve it. So, but why should I trust you Democrats to do it? You know, you guys, all the politicians say one thing, and but then you do another. So, I will speak most certainly about my experience as a community organizer and as a former elected official. I understand firsthand how important it is to have these policies that address these issues. And so, it's bigger than any political party. It's really about leadership that, again, genuinely understands and is willing to work for the communities that are being the most impacted by these issues. 
And so I have a slew of experience working as a healthcare organizer across the state on pushing for implementation of these policies. But we need to go further beyond than what our current system affords us at this time. All right, okay, I'll drop the role playing stuff. Okay, so <laughs> Leah, I'm curious. So you're a good yeah. person, you got good policies, you know, rock and roll. And by the way, the links to help her and her campaign will be down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. They're right there, leoweb.com, easy enough. Um, so, uh, Leah, what, what uh, motivated you to get involved in politics in the first place? I don't know. After you've grilled me here, I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I have committed both my personal and professional life to public service. I have my entire life is rooted in serving and working in not only my community, but across the state. And for me, reflecting on my experience, not only as an organizer, but as an elected official at the local level and being able to pass policies, whether it's things around the environment like banning fracking in my city or working through initiatives to establish affordable housing, initiatives focused on the economy by preparing our, our youth for careers. All of those things for me and most certainly in thinking about the state legislature in my conversations with folks, they are just tired of being sick and tired of having to plead for leadership to um, provide policies that respect their um, integrity and their dignity as human beings. And so it's critical that we have leadership, as I said before, that truly understands issues that we're facing in our communities every day. But most importantly, are not working on those issues by themselves. They are bringing the voices of the folks who are being impacted by these issues right in the room as they're making decisions. And not just simply in the room as being fixtures, but in the room actively engaged in the decision making that impacts their lives. And so for me, now more than ever, we need leadership that understands that and is willing to do that. And that has and is my commitment to yeah. the Residents, not only where I live, but across the great state of New York. All right, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Leah, I have time for at least one more specific policy question. So, sure. homelessness is seems intractable, uh, and out here in California and in New York, everywhere, uh, and, and people don't know how to solve it. And every time we go to uh, appropriate more money, it feels like it just gets lost in the system. And homelessness just grows instead of shrinking. So what in the world can we actually do about it? Well, most certainly we need a multi-pronged approach to address homelessness. So when you look at issues around the economy and what what is a thriving economy looking like or not in our communities? What are our housing options as it pertains to quality housing and that it's affordable? Because oftentimes people will say, "Oh, we're offering market rate housing, but for who? And so it's critically important that we work with folks who are most impacted by these issues. And so one of the things that I'm a big believer in is, is collaboration. And so working with whether it's nonprofit, local housing development organizations, advocates and colleagues to address the interconnectedness of this very complex issue as it pertains to homelessness. Because again, there's always layers to it. And it's critically important that we address all of those layers from the economy 
standpoint, housing, healthcare, to really have a comprehensive approach to this uh, very critical issue. All right, LeahWebb.com. People thought she couldn't win city council seat, but she did. Uh, so <laughs> now she's running for the state senate seat. And obviously, we've got her on because we think she's a star and we think it's an important race. So, Leah, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. No problem. All right, what do conservatives actually think of Vladimir Putin in Russia? Well, we're going to find out. Uh, we brought one of them on. Ooh. Uh, John Ziegler, uh, podcaster, commentator, columnist, and conservative. Uh, John, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You introduced me almost like I'm a, I'm a foreign alien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we found one in the wild and we've corralled one and, <laughs> and it's joined us. So, uh, John, uh, you speak for all conservatives. Uh, <laughs> No, seriously, uh, the funny thing is, and the reason why you're on is because you don't. You're an interesting person, you have your own opinions. I disagree with a lot of them, but but sometimes we do see eye to eye. And so, uh, kidding aside, there's I know that there's a variety of uh, opinions about uh, Putin and Russia in, in Republican circles, and ever-changing ones, by the way. Um, but it, it to me, it looked like Trump was very soft on Putin. Um, I'm curious what your take on that is, and then we'll talk about the current state of affairs. I agree with you that Donald Trump was very soft on on Putin and Russia, although uh, he's kind of crafty about it, where he takes almost every position that is imaginably possible. Therefore, he gives his cult options. That's, I think, always been one of the keys to Trump's success with his cult, and it is a cult. As you well know, he gives them options. So if they want to believe he's pro-Putin, they can believe that. If they want to believe he's actually secretly anti-Putin and playing him, they they can believe that. Uh, that's, I think, the key. And I think that's also the key to understanding why the reaction to this conflict with Ukraine has been a bit muddled on the right wing. Because everyone uh, in the cult is trying to predict what the cult leader wants them to do or say, and especially with Trump, that's often not difficult. And, and you've already alluded to it, it is kind of changing. It has already changed in the last several days as this narrative has become very, very popular. I think on parts of the left and the right that we're supposed to be rooting for Ukraine and that Putin is the bad guy. Uh, well, that's certainly not universally the case in the right. I do think that that's an increasingly popular position, largely because that's where the public is. Yeah, so look, uh, first of all, to the audience, before you get to liking John, because he called Trump's followers a cult, you'll just like him later, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's an actual conservative. Um, but but uh, and, and to back up what you're saying though, but honestly, look, that's what successful politicians do. They talk out of both sides of their mouth, so that they give people an option of, I can believe A or I can believe B, and I still am gonna vote for this guy. By the way, a guy who was super sophisticated in doing that was Barack Obama. Okay, uh, a thousand times more sophisticated than Trump, but oftentimes would say two things at once. So now, uh, getting to a theory that I had that I think that you might not have loved, uh, I said outside of Trump, there's another reason why some right wingers like Putin. Uh, it's because he is um, basically saying, I don't care what anybody thinks, I don't care what LGBTQ folks, I don't care about, that. I'm gonna oppress them. Uh, Etc. And and I'm I'm not going to be woke. And and he's white. He's he's a strong man who's white, 
And and now for a lot of right wingers, race, in my opinion, is more important than nationality. And that's why we saw the shirts at Republican gatherings saying, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat. Because they perceive Democrats as the others, but Russians, they look kind of like us. And so there's some evidence to that effect since I've said that. But first, let me let you weigh in. Am I wrong about that? Well, look, are there some people in that category? I guess there probably are. Unfortunately, human beings are incredibly flawed. There's gonna be very flawed people in every large group. I am not one of those. I would like to believe that that is not a significant portion. If it was the case, then why do conservatives hate Trudeau in Canada or Newsom here in California? They're both authoritarian leaders who have usurped democracy. So I don't know that race I don't know that race necessarily would play a role there then if because obviously conservatives hate Trudeau and Newsom. Um, and so uh, while there, and I'm not uh, making the 100% parallel, but I, I, you, you, you were the one that raised the issue of race. And, and certainly, uh, you know, there's some things that, that race does not wash over on the conservative side. Um, look, I'm a, a, a Reagan Romney Republican. Uh, one of the last few here in Southern California. <laughs> and uh, to me, the, the Russians are always gonna be the bad guys unless proven otherwise. And Putin uh, has always seemed to me as if he is a bad guy. And it's nice that you guys are now finally acknowledging to some extent that Romney was right back in 2012 and that he got a raw deal on this topic. Um, but I, I'm certainly not gonna speak for or in any way defend those that might have your opinion. And I'm not suggesting that no one has that particular opinion because we're living in very crazy times where people are believing all sorts of nutty things. And so just to be clear, we don't think that right wingers just love all white people. <laughs> they don't love Joe Biden. You know, I've heard them cheer on a guy named Brandon. That gives me a sense of what they think about Joe Biden. No, of course they don't like Trudeau or Newsom or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, etc. No, white right-wingers who are authoritarian in nature and run over their opposition, Trump, Putin, etc. That that seems to really- I, I, In all seriousness, I believe that the only affinity, the real affinity for Putin is that the Trump cult members believe that Trump is Putin's buddy. That is the source of it. It's not mostly racial. It's mostly that their cult leader they see as sending them signals that Putin isn't a bad guy and might actually be the good guy, which is why Trump was trying to do business with him in 2016 as the presumptive Republican nominee and then covered it up by among other things, having his private lawyer go to Congress and perjure himself. So to me, that's the far more logical explanation than race. Yeah, I think that's how it started, but but it's definitely morphed because after I made the comment and people were outraged, then Nick Fuentes had a white supremacist gathering, and they started chanting Putin, Putin, and and it was specifically about race. And so, and and we've seen now also not just race, but gender issues, etc. So any social issues. Steve Bannon, Eric Prince talking about, hey, at least Putin isn't woke. Tucker Carlson saying Putin never racially discriminated against me, and all that stuff. So it's taken on that side of it, which then leads me to the larger question: Where do you think? Conservatives are today. Okay, let's sit, grant that it started with Trump, right, and his own personal business interests. Uh, but you know, in polling, it looks like Republicans have begun to turn against Putin. They were neutral in an earlier poll. Now they're against them in a poll after the invasion, but they're still trailing Democrats by 15 points, which leads to this Alice in Wonderland. 
where a guy like you who just said you're predisposed to just not liking or agreeing with the Russians to begin with is kind of an odd man out. Uh, and, and Republicans generally like Russia more than Democrats do. It is very strange. We are living in very bizarre times. I would like to believe that that difference will dissipate as the reality on the ground becomes more well known. And I also think popular opinion, which is pretty clear so far, plays a role here because Republicans are going to see the handwriting on the wall and they're going to not going, most of them are not going to do anything that appears to be remotely pro Putin. So I would like to believe that this is going to eventually be one of the very few topics in this day and age where Republicans and Democrats can somewhat be on the same page. It's, it is sad that that is not currently the case. It is pathetic that there are more Republicans that are pro Putin in Russia than Democrats. It, everything is upside down, but hey, that's 2020. 2022. I feel like we're stuck in 2020 forever. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, on good news, you say from your mouth to God's ears on this one, the opposite. Okay, but uh, no one wants to be stuck in 2020 forever, but it does feel that way. So, um, you know, I, I have a theory on why uh, in the polling you can see the Republicans now shifting, going, okay, yeah, Putin's a bad guy. We get it, right? And and that's not good. Uh, I think that there was a, that they saw the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians, by the way, in my, in my theory, are also white, right? Well, that's not my theory, that's definitely true. Um, and then they see guys like that they might even recognize like uh, the Klitschko brothers who were heavyweight champions uh, saying, I'll, I'll grab a gun and I'll fight the Russians in the streets, uh, but I'm staying. And, and the Ukrainians have been so tough. Jesus, they've been awesome in their bravery. And, and I think that that's appealing to the kind of the macho man side of of Republican voters, what's your take on that? That's a, that's a fair theory. I mean, Zelensky is certainly is appearing to be far more of a man than Trump ever dreamed of being, and I find it interesting that that's appealing to Democrats that he's now this hero sex symbol. When last week, by the way, let's not forget the New York Times wrote it, wrote an article mocking him for being in way over his head. So it's amazing how fast the narrative can change, you know, with the public opinion. But you know, I, I do think there's one. Point of caution here for you guys. I'm sure you're aware that in a poll over the weekend, 62% of the public believes that Putin would not have done this if Trump was still president. Now, I find that rather bizarre given the relationship between Trump and Putin, but that's perception, and perception is far more important than reality. And so I'm not sure this is going to be a winning political issue, regardless of how it turns out for Democrats. Yeah, let me give you one scenario where it might be. We we did cover that sh uh, poll earlier in the show on the Young Turks. We covered that, and we did say that's a warning sign for Democrats. And Democrats are a terrible at messaging, so I'm not overly surprised by it. And B, uh, Biden is perceived as weak overall, and it's bleeding into foreign policy. But actually, he's pretty good at foreign policy and pretty strong in foreign policy, in my opinion. I think on domestic policy, he is actually weak and and gets pushed around to no end. So. But but in 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 but if Biden pulls this off, because right now he's walking a very hard uh, tightrope here, but pulling it off for now. It's only five days in, because you don't want to go to World War III. You don't want to get mired in Ukraine. You'd lose everybody if you you know if we got into a war with Russia. That's insane, right? Uh, on the other hand, uh, the financial transactions have been pretty brutal. The sanctions, I should say, uh, and and it looks like they're already hurting Russia real bad. 
So if he gets Russia and Putin to back down here, does that wind up being a huge win for Biden? That's a scenario that's possible, but you know, I don't know how likely that is. And I also think that by November, inflation and where we are in COVID are gonna play bigger roles in the election than what's going on. Assuming it doesn't blow up even more than it already has, what's going on in Ukraine. I got you, but will you, okay, then I'm curious, what's your take on how Biden's handled this so far? I have no major problems so far. I mean, I think we're, this is mostly a Ukrainian situation where it's amazing that they put up the resistance they have. I think Putin bit off more than he can chew. And hopefully Putin has, has actually overstepped his bounds and much like a liberal overplayed his hand and it'll come back to haunt him. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, all right, I got you. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping he pulls it off. We don't go into World War III and that Ukraine is safe. Um, but we're on that we can agree. Yeah, and here's uh, and I'll end on another thing we can agree. Uh, those every line coming out of the Ukrainians is awesome. Uh, so Russian warship, go after yourself. Here, take some sunflowers seeds, put it in your pocket because I want beautiful sunflowers to grow when you all die here. Uh, <laughs> that was a little old lady in in, the, in, in Ukraine. God, I love these guys. Uh, and then. Uh, I suspect that this is warms right wing hearts. When Zelensky was called by the Americans and they asked him, "Do you need an evacuation?" He said, "I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. The real fight is here." How much Agreed. do you love that, John? <laughs> I, I loved it. Uh, more of it. Thank you. And I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that could bring us together. There you go. All right, <laughs> John Ziegler. Thank you, brother, for joining Thank us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jane.